0: What's up everybody welcome to another episode of downtime with downstar episode 182 and today we're here with chris from kingpin machine chris what's up bro
1: how's it going frank uh, thanks for having me on man
0: of course man thank you for your time i know you're a busy guy
1: yeah i mean you know when you're one man business it's kind of asses and elbows you know you're pretty much the machinist designer packing uh, receiving ordering uh what have you so it's machinist of course I so love uh if it has to be done i'm pretty much doing it
0: I love it, man. Um, Probably from the looks of things, it really doesn't seem like a one-person operation. Um, So that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast to actually dive into it to to talk about the work that goes into these these uh, suspension components that you do make. Because uh, you know being a a one-man show, I know that that's definitely a lot of work for sure.
1: Well, I appreciate it. You know, you you try to put on a good front, like and not look like you're one man working out of a essentially a residential home, but you know, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. You know, it's two car garage, uh, full basement. I use a good bit of the basement uh, without the basement. I probably wouldn't be able to do it, but uh, you know, trying to grow and get out into a shop, but I hate paying rent. And so I'm just trying to, to save up and, and buy a building. So it's been kind of biding my time and, and, uh, trying to grow the business you know
0: got you got you so um, if you can just give us a quick brief uh, summary of who you are and what you do for people that aren't familiar with the company yet
1: definitely uh, my name is Chris Brinson um, uh, if you've been around a long time in this in this Honda game I used to run a site called HondaPro.com I started HondaPro.com in 1998 it became a real big site uh, 10 million impressions a month and From there, you know, went on a haunted challenge and really haunted challenge led to eventually me uh, starting a business called Kingpin Machine. Um, Kingpin Machine, basically what I do is, 99% of what I do anyways, is converting, you know, your your standard rubber steel bushing to a spherical bearing assembly. And it's got, you know, a lot of huge benefits. I mean, the car, like a road race car, it's going to be more stable under braking, better turn in, uh, alignment settings are more true it's also applicable to drag racing i mean really uh you know ccc racing started running my stuff they're probably the first guys that ran my my parts and so since then i spread out into the drag racing world i've got rally race guys um so pretty much you know and i'm known for my honda parts but i'll make spherical bearing assemblies for pretty much any oem car uh i don't do a lot of fabricated or machined arms from scratch but um i pretty much known for converting OEM suspension, you know, arms over to sphericals. So that's kind of gotcha. most of what I do right there.
0: Have you thought about making your own arms?
1: I have, uh, a lot of it is just, you know, there's a, there's a saying like, and I kind of like it, you know, uh, comparison is the enemy of happiness, right? I mean, I, I've kind of grown to business small. I didn't have a lot of capital to start. Um, so a lot of my, what holds me back right now is the fact that I'm on single phase residential power, you know? So I have a Haas CNC lathe uh, in my garage, um, but it'll run single phase without having to run phase converters, that kind of thing. But I'm just square footage limited. I would love to eventually get out into a shop, uh, buy a CNC mill, a true uh, turning center. Uh, you know, for people that don't know, you know, a, a Haas, uh, a tool room lathe, it's a full CNC machine, but you have to load each tool manually. So you have to put tool in and push start. Oh. Whereas a turret, it's got a big turret and it can drill the hole, turn the OD and all that. So it's, it's a, a tool room layer is a more simplified machine, but you can hold extremely tight tolerances. You know I hold plus or thousandths all day and uh, generally speaking plus or minus minus uh, one ten thousandth on the critical ID bore of my parts. Um, so I mean, really, you know, I'm kind of at the point of like huge growing pains, I would say. The business is, you know, I'm always having to balance, I guess, you know uh, prototype work with, with running production parts. And so I'll do a little prototype work, but then, you know, people are like, man, you know, Chris, you know, you're out of stock on this, this, and this. It's like, all right, so you kind of rush over here and you start running production parts for a while and you try to get those parts off to the welder and then from there they go to the plater. And while that's being done, I'm trying to do a little bit of prototype work. So, um, you know, it's tough. I I do kind of change, you know, chase my tail a good bit. Yeah. Um, But I think it's part of the growth process. And, you know, I'm a little bit older guy, I'll be 48 in August and i'm I'm maybe a little more risk averse than some people are i I really don't want to take a six-figure loan to to make the you know take the business next step um it's not to say that i won't do that at some point Mm -hmm. um and i took a big risk obviously buying you know the lathe to start with but it's kind of like you know you almost have to like i'm sure you know this you have you almost have to like start your business over over and over and over like so you start the business and you bought a cnc lathe right and then so that carried you for some period of time and then You know, I lost my connection with a friend of mine's shop, right? So I didn't have a B blast cabinet, I didn't have a big air compressor, didn't have a high dog press. So it was like, all right. So then I kind of started over again. I had to go and uh, procure all that equipment, and so that and then I got a lot of cabinetry and things to try to make you know things work, uh, streamline the process, you know. But now I'm kind of to the to the third starting point where I've really got to. Restart again and get out to you know a true industrial facility with three phase power. I'd like to get a mill, like to get a true turning center, and I'd like to have at least a part time guy that takes some of the you know things like bead blasting. I'm still bead blasting cores myself, mm. which means the customer gets a spectacular product, and anything that's wrong with it, it's my fault, you know. And I like that, but I do need to kind of grow to the point where I can focus on growing the business and doing some of the business side while you know while someone is doing. Some of the more menial stuff, bee blasting, uh, running simplistic parts like, say, bearing spacers. You know, the, the tolerance on bearing spacers is a little bit bigger. But there's so much of, of things that I really can't give up control of because I'm such a control freak. You know, yeah. I can't imagine me handing off the blueprinting in assembly process, which is what can really that's what makes Kingpin Machine Kingpin Machine. You know, I mean, I'm holding plus or minus the ten thousandth and sometimes less than that on the critical Uh, interference fit between the bearing and the bearing sleeve. And what that means, when I send out a set of control arms, you can articulate each bearing, you know, by hand, and they have about the same amount of stiction so that when you bolt the the arms on the car, your spring rate and your wheel rate are closely related, you know? So if you have 600-pound springs, you don't have a 1,000-pound wheel rate, you know, due to the, the, the extreme amount of, you know, stiction that the bearing assembly has. And that's what a lot of stuff you see, either they slip fit, and that's what most of it does because it's it's more profitable and more quick. They'll slip fit the bearing, but then the bearing kind of loose, um, and you don't have I don't think the the performance, the longevity, and the safety factor as you do you know a press fit assembly. But with a press fit assembly, if you get too much press fit, the bearing you know the bearing doesn't want to move in the race. So you know it's, it's a fine line, and I and I made the choice early in the business that you know I wanted to make products that I would bolt on my car and go race on the next day and and i've really let that guide you know my entire business i mean everything that i make you know it's not like oh this is good enough it's always good enough that i would bolt it on my own race car and go race on it that weekend
0: yeah so um how did you even get into uh making these components or even knowing that there was a market for this or even get getting into it all
1: yeah, that kind of brings back again, like kind of my background with the whole HondaPlay.com thing, you know. So I had the website, right? Moved out to Arizona in '98. I registered HondaPlay.com, and I started building this online enthusiast community, right? And it had tens of thousands of members, you know, 10 million impressions a month. It became this monstrosity, and all that led to me doing track days, which led to me moving. When I moved back east, led led to me doing a track day in my new integer Type R, had 2001. And a guy named Scott Giles is my instructor. Well, it happened to be that Scott Giles was starting a series called Han Challenge. And he was like, man, great car, love the car, you need to sell this car, trade in on a truck, buy a race car, and just go race. Because he says, you know, you're out there, you know, you're basically running your daily driver at, at nine tenths, and it's a matter of time before you ball it up. I mean, he says, I love the way that you're driving, but you need to come out and race with us. Yeah. So I did. A year later, man, I sold, I traded that Type R in a 2002 Toyota Tundra and bought an eBay, uh, Acura Integra. It was a U.S. touring car championship car from Arizona. Had it shipped over, bought a trailer, bought all his safety equipment, went to the NASA comp school, and started racing, you know? And so through that, I was working in the IT industry at that time, he's a computer guy, doing database stuff and all that, and it got caught up after 9-11, got caught up again in 2008. Well, 2008 was terrible. I mean, I couldn't find a job. And in the meantime, I had been, like, taken some night classes in machine tool over at the technical college. And I'm a huge fan of like, you know, technical uh, school, you know, education anyway. I mean, where can you go that you can start running, you know, CNC lathe, CNC mill, you know, in a few quarters and be running, you know, uh, a manual mill, manual lathe, you know, maybe the first quarter you're there. It's it's pretty powerful stuff, you know. So I had been, you know, learning more and more and, and doing this in my spare time. And I finally said, you know what? You know, it might be time to start thinking about making that jump. And so I started prototyping. Well, I, what I did is I, I put a call out on a roadway site that I had also started with a friend, Scott Giles, actually. And I said, man, you know, I have this access, CNC lathe, CNC mill. Do you guys have any ideas for parts? And what came up over and over again was a DC Integra compliance bearing because there really wasn't anything out, you know, to, for, that, for that particular application. At the time, progress was the only company I knew of that was making spherical bearings, you know, for the front end of the Integra. Um, and I think towards the end of, you know, at some point PCI came out with the rear trailing arm bearing and I bought one cause I was like, Oh, it's cool. It's cool design. But there really wasn't a compliance bearing, uh, like a major commercial product. I think it was a guy named Jimmy out in California that had done like some one off stuff. And of course, real time, I'm sure they ran stuff on their type Rs. But so I started in, you know, with the pro, pro, you know, prototype process, And I made a decision, you know, I'm just going to use, because even though I had access to a mill, there's a lot of complexity with making, designing a whole mill, you know, milled housing and then making a whole assembly. I was like, you know, I'm going to try to see if I can just use the OEM, you know, compliance bushing housing and convert that to a spherical. So long story short, you know, I did that through, um, I think it was, let me think, I got laid off late '08 like when the IT industry was just, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was terrible. There's no jobs to be found. I mean, I I had like one or two telephone interviews over the next, you know, three, four months. I was like, man, what am I doing now? You know, I was still doing, you know, the night school. So 2009, I said, like, all right, well, I'm just going to go, you know, head first in this prototyping. So I prototyped the compliance bearings. Then I started doing the front LCA shock mount, front LCA inner pivot. And by, you know, summer 2009, late 2009, I had a good bit of interest. You know, people are like, you know, we're wanting to run that stuff. So I had my uh, friend Jolt, who races SCCA, uh, a guy, Matt Bookler, actually, Matt was funny. Matt was on, I knew, I've known Matt since 98. He was on this guy called Ed Sawyer's Prelude Board, right? And the people from that went on basically to to found Hanapah.com, me and some friends, you know, we did Hanapah.com and, you know, Matt was one of the first guys to run my parts. So, you know, here we go back to 1998, I raced Han Challenge with Matt, And then Matt, you know, starts running my uh, prototype parts in 2009. And I finally realized, I was like, man, you know, this thing might have some legs. So um, 2010, I went ahead and incorporated, and I tried to do what a lot of people do, is I was doing, you know, the design work and trying to outsource, you know, the machine work. And it was just a debacle. I mean, I one guy was doing rear lower control arm uh, bearing sleeves, and he scrapped all of them. Yeah. You know, order forty parts and they're all scrapped. Oh, Didn't wow. measure any of them. I was like, you know, and so luckily I was able to get my money back. You know, um so I mean, it's kind of like how it's, it's kind of started organically, I guess. You know, yeah. i was, it was like, you know, I had another local guy. I found that was running parts, and he was doing a pretty good job actually. But it was like fill-in work, so I might order him. He'd be like, all right, you know, and then two months later, he might get around to running them. Got gotcha. you. And so I contacted guy by the name of Charles Blair in Lawrenceville. And I called Charles. And I was trying to get him to run the parts. And he says, tell you what, I really don't want to run them. But if you come up here and work for me part time, I'll probably let you get some sh- machine time. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that was really jumping off point. So nice. I went there, worked, you know, was doing part time work for him. Wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I was doing track day. Um, I was doing like support for a different, like, you know, OPM auto sport and coming. I was doing like, uh, going to their events and wrenching on cars and, you know, changing lug nuts or whatever had, you know, whatever had to be done and just kind of just getting by, you know, yeah. working part time And so the main thing with working with Charles is I was able to get that machine time and it bridged that critical gap between having an idea and figuring out, oh, how am I gonna make it work? And how am I gonna come up with the capital to buy my own machine? Because I realized I was like, man, the outsourcing thing just wasn't working for me, you know? And part of the problem is that bearing parts are so picky. You know, it's like bearing work is like tool and die work. I mean, you know, most of the machines are like, you know, well it's plus or minus two thousands. Man, if I'm plus or minus two thousands, it's the difference between the bearing, right? Rattling inside the race and it not going, you know, at all if you're trying to press fit it. So, you know, being able to get that hands-on experience and run Charles lathe and figure out like how much work it was to hold the tight tolerances that I wanted to and sell some parts and kind of get a little money built up. And I had, see, I still had some money savings and stuff from my IT job. And I finally just realized, you know, kind of excuse the rude saying, but like my dad used to say, he was 30 year career Marine, you know, sometimes son, you got to shit or get off the pot. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I just sacked up and, uh, bought, a, you know, 2000, a 2012, um, TL2 lathe from Haas, bought all the tooling I need to get started. And I was basically wiped out. You know, I was, I didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of capital left and it was sink or swim time. And I just started running parts and, you know, and just learned organically how to do a little bit of marketing and a little bit of business and a little, and then accounting. I mean, I had never really run a a small business. So for me, you know, I was always an employee. Yeah. So I had to learn how to kind of get some business savvy and I don't, I just didn't have a whole lot of business savvy to start with. And that's been the big learning curve for me, you know?
0: Got you. So 2009 is when you get the idea to, um, to try to make the spherical bearings for the OEM components, and in 2012 is when you bought your first machine.
1: That's pretty much it. Gotcha. It was um, it was like I think I started running. You know, it was it was kind of a mess. Like it took me a while to get the machine up and running because they delivered a chuck and the chuck wasn't installed right. It was just the kind of stuff that happens, you know, with yeah. new manufacturing, new machines. So I think I ordered the thing in June and it wasn't until early August that I had it up and running, which was, an, you know, I'm sitting there. Well, luckily, they let me delay payments and I had, you know, my loan guy help me out. The loan guy is like, don't pay them one cent until it's up and running, you yeah. know. So they finally got it all sorted out. in August 2012 is really, you know, when Kingpin Machine started running its own parts, you know, and kind of doing the damn thing, you know.
0: Got you. Okay, so let's uh, let's pause on that right now and let's take it back a little bit. So you say the website that you used to run was Honda Pro? hondaprelude.com hondaprelude.com okay so right. what, what was your motivation to uh to start that rather than just being a like a regular enthusiast what made what was your drive to get into like the forum side of things
1: so this is like in a lot of ways it's almost like you know i mean yeah just like you said it was like the very early days of i mean really all there was was forums at that time you know and so I had just graduated and I came up, you know, I have a strange background, and a strange path to be a machinist, gotcha. as it were, you know. I have an undergrad degree from NC State in uh, journalism, mass communication. Took a year off, you know, not surprisingly couldn't find a job. Yeah. paid a whole lot with a degree. So I'm like, well, now what do I do, you know? Well, the internet was blowing up and I was excited about the internet and I thought it was going to be huge and like a game changer. I, was, I mean, I thought from day one, the internet was going to be huge, right? So I wrote a letter to uh, to um, University of Georgia and it had a journalism program, and I says, "Look, the internet is nothing but another medium. It's just like radio and television. And it's going to be like the next big thing, and all it's going to do is it's going to use a lot of media professionals. And you know, and, and it was you know, hopefully it was. I guess it was eloquent enough and well written because I got admitted and was able to get a full ride off of the letter that I wrote wow. in my GRE score. Yeah, it was great, and I was lucky. I mean, I got to." to play with emerging technologies. I mean, like, you know, I was doing a little ASP scripting and, you know, a little database back-end stuff, and, and I was applying, but we were doing the media side of it, you know, we're applying how is the web going to emerge as a new medium? Because at that time, people were like, oh, this is just a thing for techies. And, like, this new media, you know, it's actually a, we end up creating kind of like people at University of Georgia end up creating, like, this, you know, new media studies part of journalism, which still exists there. And it was the idea that, you no, know, it's just another medium, and you know, media professionals are going are going to be employed in it. So, I end up kind of doing the more technical side because a lot of you know journalism guys just didn't really you know gravitate towards computer programming, um, but I did. I picked it up you know pretty quickly. So when I came out of school, I got a job as a web developer, and uh, ended up getting shit canned from that job. Mm. I, they didn't like me, and I didn't like them. So I got <laughs> shit canned. You know, put my resume on. I think it was monster back then, you know. This is like summer '98, and a company in Arizona's like starts hitting me up, you know. Hey, why don't you move out here? You know, we'll pay you good money. And I was like, man, it's hot out there. Yeah. i ain't trying to go out in the desert, you know. So they kept like making offers. They're like, you know, 35. I'm like, no. And like 40, no. 45, no. And so they kept going up, and I was like, out of work. <laughs> you know? so yeah. I go to Arizona and. You know, and the whole domain name thing was coming it was big, you know, so I was like, oh, I'll have a prelude. I have a third gen Honda Prelude, you know? The old nineteen ninety four wheel steering, terrible motors. I mean, yeah. I don't care what you do that car, unless you do force induction, it's not gonna make any power. is um, that the one with the flip up flip-up headlights
0: up. and then the, yep, the clamshell that's hood?
1: That's it, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man. Well this is the third gen, so it had the hood the hood open normal. Oh, the second you. gen had the hood open backwards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the third, the third gen was the one that had the four-wheel steering, um, you know, to it. Yeah. That was pretty, you know, revolutionary, man. And that was a cool little car. I mean, it was kind of heavy. It wasn't the great, the best track car, but it's what I had, you know? And like a lot of us guys that came up in the Honda world, especially back then, man, you just kind of run what you wrong, you know? Yeah. You might not have the fastest car, but you just kind of tweaked on it. There wasn't a whole lot of performance stuff, you know, you know, around yet. I mean, you had some, but it, you know, the market was still growing, you know? But I registered HondaPlay.com, HondaCivic.com, AcuraIntegra.com, and as as I was an IT guy, and the stuff I was doing at work was so basic. I was like, man, what if what if I just like, you know, find find a place to play, find a little web server, and just start doing like like honing my skills by by writing, you know, a database system. We we, you know, me and a friend wrote our own forum system. We didn't like get some forum software. We wrote forum software, and I made which was the killer app for, for was something called the setups pages and being a programmer, I made it so you could upload your your own image. They're automatically formatted Um, and it had like a review system so that, you know, we had moderators that could delete images that weren't appropriate or whatever. And uh, we had a time slip section, you had a dyno sheet, but you had a one to many relationship. So, you know, I was Chris on the website. I could have like, You know this prelude and this prelude and this prelude so you go to my profile page it would show all the looks of different different preludes then you go to the the setups page and it would show all the pictures you know because i was database guys what they call a one-to-many relationship so you know one owner multiple multiple cars one car multiple image multiple timesheets so it was a really complex system and allowed me to to develop you know skills programming skills that i never would have been able to develop at work you know because at work i was just like He's the web developer. You yeah. just put him over there, and he just does basic HTML and don't give him anything else. Yeah. I was like, man, that's boring. Yeah. So I, you know, I want to challenge myself and I want to learn. All right, let's do, learn database stuff. Let's learn, you know, VBScript and Visual Basic and all that. So basically, that's that's how you know that came about, and then it just was successful, which I didn't expect. you know I mean I? Got. Gotcha. I thought it'd be like a small thing, and it just became huge. We had. You know, Papadakis came out to this Vegas, this Vegas meet. We had, I think it was 2000. Oh. We had the, the 100play.com meet in Vegas. Man, people came over from British Columbia. Papadakis came out. Uh, oh, wow. Somebody gave him like basically a free hotel room and and you know and it was some guy that's kind of affiliated with HunterPlay.com and he couldn't come last minute. Yeah. So he basically says, hey, you know, yeah, you know, Papadakis and his girlfriend had free hotel stay and they came out. Well, I got pictures, you know, on, on you know. Top of one of the casinos, and yeah. us hanging out, and it was cool. We did a cruise. We had a a, a meet in uh, the June facility, which I forget what part of LA that's in, but I think they're they're out of business now. Uh-huh. But we had a, a you know a LA you know Prelude meet, and we went to a car show, and um, had tons of pictures and stuff from that. So it was it was a really neat time, you know. It, it became this this huge monstrosity by I mean, two thousand one two thousand two. You know, you've, we've got like you know, thirty thousand members, and you know, producing ten million page impressions. And of course, yeah. then my ISP is like, my ISP's like, man, you're swamping our server, man. We got, we gotta charge you more money. So, you know, try to do the advertising thing and all that. So it was its own thing. I mean, I've never worked so hard in my life for so many hours for something that basically paid me no money. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> that's awesome, man. I had no idea. So, were you were you born in Georgia?
1: I was. Okay. Um, I've never really lived much in Georgia though, till I was an adult. So my dad was in Vietnam, gotcha. uh, second tour in Vietnam, and so my mom was staying uh, with my with her mom, my grandmother, and then, technically my step granddad. But he's you know he's my papa. He's the only guy I ever knew as a granddad. So they're staying with uh, them over in Duluth, Georgia, which okay. is a suburb of Atlanta. And um, so I came about and. Dad came home from Vietnam. And was like, oh, there's a six-month-old kid. You know, he didn't see me for, for until I was older. You know, you know, because um, that's how it was. But then they picked up and moved to Camp Lejeune, uh, North Carolina, and I God. never lived in Georgia again until I was an adult. So, you know, I I, really, I never really associated with Georgia. I happen to have lived here a lot as you know as an older adult, but I never lived in the state. You know, until until I was 18. You know, I lived in Northern Virginia mostly. Graduated high school uh, from Woodbridge Senior High. Yes. And, um lived in uh, North Carolina a lot so basically I always like kind of think I grew up in North Carolina and Northern Virginia
0: got you got you okay so when did you realize that there was an actual culture to Hondas and it wasn't just uh just a prelude
1: so I started reading I believe a sport compact car when I was in high school I think 1990 I think that's when sport compact car was around mm-hmm. um and I was reading uh, a lot of I was big a car audio so Woodbridge Senior High, I mean, there's a, Woodbridge in liquid area had a big car culture and there was like meets at the, it was like a Burger King or something like that. And I would go there and sometimes me and dad would go up there and they had lowrider trucks, mini trucking was still huge then. um, So, I mean, but even though I didn't, I mean, I had some, I was driving my dad's 72 Monte Carlo for a while, which was actually a pretty cool car. Oh yeah. But he sold it, you know, he, he thought, I don't know, I don't know what he thought, but he didn't want me to drive that thing and I ended up this just, shitbox box like this 89 Pontiac Le Mans and it was just I don't know that was just terrible that's the thing that I had that's that was why I took to college you know gotcha but you know in, in a senior in high school I didn't have a car and so I would go and look at stuff and I loved Hondas I just liked the look of Hondas you know the EF Civic to this day I'm like it's a cool car hell like, yeah it really is. you know the CRXs but I didn't have Civics or you know I didn't, they were not cheap cars you know in 1990 88 CRX was expensive you know so I got some pile of crap pontiac in and that thing it was just awful <laughs> you know? did, you well, yeah, least, sorry,
0: did you have a system in it
1: i'm um, sorry
0: did you have a system in it
1: oh yeah well the pontiac i had like this crappy system but i had a big system in the prelude
0: okay what'd you have in it
1: i had i was a jail audio mb court um uh ppi guy Yeah. old school ppi in fact i i have i just picked up a ppi a, a huge ppi amp that was made in phoenix arizona off of um ebay gotcha. it with some stimulus money hey i got some stimulus money i'm like hey i'm gonna stimulate this guy Hi. <laughs> huge amp it's a it's an amp i never could afford it back then you know
0: what's the yeah, rms it. on it what's that what's the rms on it
1: i think the one i just bought is um oh what is that i think it's a four channel i think it's four by 150 or okay gotcha 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 which is a huge i mean i forget how many amps it pulls but it's stupid yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah you know, you can always tell like how big an amp is you know you see how many amps it pulls you know, like class d amps they have nowadays man people don't understand the old class b amps and like you know the a b amps it's like it's got a 60 amp fuse like it's not joking around yeah. you know well yeah i had two mb i had uh mb courts uh six and a half fours and tweeters uh jail audio two jail audio 10w6s and custom uh fiberglass boxes i had them built into the like the rear fender wells
0: got you yeah. so
1: it's hard to explain but i had fiberglass the rear fenders and so on each side of the rear seat there were speakers hidden behind it you know um and the whole car was dynamated um were and, those, you know, of, were those had the had a, v1
0: or v2 dub sixes
1: v1s yeah gotcha got okay so it wasn't like the perfect setup because you really want to have three of them for a four-ohm load but You know, it was plenty loud. I mean, it run you out of the car. You know, Uh, but then I, you know, then I go on to doing track days, which all that stuff was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Track day car, you know, but it was funny. My friend Brady took me out for my first lead follow, and by my second or third event, like it was fun because the instructors were like, "Dude, you're quick." He says, "You quit like pestering these guys on the inside." Like we'd be coming around and they'd be all offline, and I'd be like. Peeking, you know, you weren't allowed to pass without a point by. It. Yeah. But I'd like, could, I was like sticking. I stick there, like I get in their mirrors so they can see me. And instructors are just laughing, like, like dude, you know, you're pretty quick. <laughs>
0: nice.
1: That was good fun, man. You know, Phoenix, uh, it was Phoenix International Raceway, and then it had Firebird. Firebird was a drag strip, but it was you had a long, long straightaway, and it's like a half-ass road course. You know, man, we had a ball. I went there and ran all the track days I could. You know, with NASA and it had Azra yeah uh organization so that's really what got me into it and you know like i met brady off of HondaPlay.com. Uh, so i mean like i said HondaPlay.com really was what drove me towards the enthusiast like the the performance enthusiast side of hondas because prior to that you know i'd le- i'd read sport compact car or whatever but i was mostly a car audio guy you know got so you. when i'm arizona i was car audio guy. And Brady and some other, you know, some other guys basically like converted me, and I was I was bit, man. Once the performance bug, you know, bites you, that's yeah. it. Yeah.
0: You know? Definitely, man. That's so funny that you say that, cause uh, car audio plays a huge part of my life as well. Uh, I started out in uh, at Best Buy in 2005 to 2012 doing a uh, doing installs. At, okay. Uh, JL Audio, that was my shit, dude. The best system yep. I ever had at one time. It was in my '69 Chevelle. I had four 12 inch w6 v twos two jL audio thousand ones uh four fifty four to run the six speakers inside and then I had the uh six and a half or were they um I think the Zr or XR XR components in the front the VR okay. VR six by nine Colax in the back and then um, I think they were uh, uh XR components in the back so i had six speakers inside the chevelle fully dynamat and everything and it eclipse 5444 deck with the 5 yeah. volt output dude loved it
1: i had the eclipse too i had, had the eclipse tv that came out and flipped up and went back down yeah let's go cool. it wasn't touchscreen though because touchscreen technology hadn't come along much <laughs> then <laughs> so it was cool. everybody like put their fingers on it by like, doing it's not touchscreen yeah <laughs>
0: I had the uh, that Eclipse five four four four, and it had that was when Sony was trying to come out with the uh, was a like memory stick. I think that's what they called it. So right. I guess you could fill it, put some music in it, and then you put the chip in. But it was probably like twenty gig or twenty megabytes or something. You probably get like right. three songs exactly. on it.
1: You get like five songs, maybe you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome, man. So back in uh, North Carolina, Virginia. Uh, when you get into the Honda community, who were the uh, like the big dogs in uh, in the community as a whole that you would hear the names? I know you already spoke of um, Papa Dacus, but what are some other names that would come to mind? Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back in one minute. Hilto Automotive has been a supporter of Downtime with Downstar for quite some time now, and we know that they're in your corner, that they got your back, whether you're under a car or you just need some help. No matter your race, creed, engine platform preference, that motto stands true. Accord, Civic, S2000, any Honda, any customer, anywhere in the world with equal respectful treatment for all. We at Downtime with Downstar share these values. And as a special gift to Downtime listeners, they are giving you guys a special deal. Using the let's deal function at the top of heeltoeauto.com, you'll find an option to request a special quote. Submit a special quote using the key phrase, I'm down with Downstar. Once again, the key phrase is I'm down with Downstar for a special deal on whatever you're shopping for. And of course, if you need any help, Marcus from Heeltoe is available by call, text, email to help out. Heeltoe wishes you guys a happy, healthy, and safe 2020. So I know a lot of you guys are questioning, what is this whole cult thing that's going on? Well, we're at Downstar, are starting our own cult. What is it? Are you gonna have to drink punch? Are we gonna sleep with your wives? No, none of that yet. But what it is, is a direct number to us, meaning me, frank downstar i'm the one that's answering the text so please right now text us 818-403-3473 you're just gonna have to follow a couple simple steps get added to your contacts and uh text us You know, let us know what you're thinking of the episode so far. If you guys have any questions, anything like that. Anything, even want to talk about life, man. Just shoot us a text. We're here to help you guys out. And we're here to have some fun, man. And uh, that's what the cult's about. So come join the cult. 818-403-3473. No charges. We're not going to be selling your info. No bullshit like that, guys. Just straight up fun. So make sure you guys shoot us a text right now. 818-403-3473. And uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. Have a good day.
1: Um, gosh, it's been so long. You know, oh, who was, man, I'm not going to come up with this. <laughs> right now. So there was a car, when I was in Arizona still, there was a guy who did a lot of car shows. Uh, I'm not going to be able to come up with his name. And it's crazy because I posted a sticker from those old days uh, on my Instagram account. And it was like they had these events. We're talking like 99, 2000, it was combined events, where it was a car show, drag race, or whatever. And there was a guy who was like crucial to the er- to that early days, and I I'm not gonna be able to come up with his name right now, unfortunately. Was that um, Battle
0: of the Imports? Um,
1: yeah, I think I think that was like one of the events they had. At, you know, it had at Firebird International. They had a few v- events, and I think that might have been one of them, but. Man, I, it's I possibly
0: either uh, Frank Choi from Battle of the Imports or Ken Miyoshi from um uh oh my God slips my mind.
1: Yeah, I, there's another guy that was real real big back in 2000-2001. I think he's still around. Uh, R, R- J. DeVera?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. R J. That's yeah.
1: it. R J. DeVera and uh and I um he set us up. It's me, and my friend Brady again, and he set us up in uh I think we got tasked to do a little like car show judging, which man, I felt so uncomfortable doing that, you know, but he just needed volunteers. And it was Brady's idea. Brady's like, man, we should go up there and volunteer or whatever. And I'm thinking like, oh, they'll, they won't need us. No, they needed us. You know? Oh, so really? Was cool. We were sat in a booth all day and told people where to go and gave out information. And, you know, I still have like some stickers, like, like you know, old June stickers, stuff like that, you know, from that 99, 2000 event. Import so, show off. Import Show Off, that's Import it. Import
0: Show Off, that was the one from Kimiyoshi. Um But it was probably one of the two events of those. Yeah. But uh, uh,
1: well that but that was still early, you know. Um, it wasn't until, you know, it's crazy, man. I mean, I never was a big car show guy. Um, you know, I basically went straight from car audio, you know, and mostly just, like, hooning around, like, just annoying people with car yeah. audio. Although I, did, I was definitely an SQ guy. I mean, I wanted stuff to sound like real. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. I want stuff to sound right, you know. Um, but I kind of went straight from that to the track day stuff and oh, uh, was it, there was, we went to some races at, um, at Phoenix international and like, I remember like King Motorsports came down, uh-huh. uh, running a car and, um, and it wasn't a big event. It wasn't like, you know, real time racing big. Of course we, we would watch, I mean, I watched real time racing religiously back then. I mean, those guys with the Integra type bars, I mean, it was so cool cause they had combined events where they had GT cars, touring cars. And man, you'd have like the slower, like a slower Mustang and one of the front running, um, you know, real time cars tangling it up in the corners because that's how fast they were. And those cars were just blazing fast. And and they were pretty simple, too. I mean, they weren't even that modified, but, you know, just everything you could do to that car, you know, within the rules, they had it done for sure. You know, real times to this day, they're just fast. And those guys know their stuff, you know? So I was more like, you know, looked up to the higher level of racing. And I just didn't. I can't remember too many names as far as, like, you know, the track day guys. Got you. Okay. No worries.
0: So let's get into your uh, your journalist major. That That's very interesting to me, man. But what made you want to uh, be a journalist?
1: Well, <laughs> failure, basically. I started out, like, electrical engineering technology. And, um, man, I couldn't get past Calculus 2. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was about Calculus 2. Like, I dropped it with, like, a 30 and dropped it again with, like, a 40 or something. And so I made a huge mistake of going to a little school called Georgia Southern, South Georgia. You know, I grew up, you know, pretty open-minded kids. kid. I was a skater kid. I mean, skateboarding and being a son of a Marine are the two things that probably, like, shaped me the most in my life. I mean, you know, to this day, I st- I'm 48. I'll be 48 in August. I wake up in the morning. I'm either, like, having dreams about skateboarding. I mean, I'm better than I should be. Or I'm, like, really terrible when I wake up and I'm just frustrated. Like, damn it, I suck. Yeah. You know? But, you know, I went to um, Georgia Southern for two years, hated it, um, and the way that the out of state, the way that you can pay in state and out of state tuition as a uh, marine dependent, and it's a lot of rules governing it. So basically, I was stuck there for a couple of years, transferred out, went to NC State, and was so much happier there. I just fit in better, you know, in Raleigh uh, Raleigh's a little more open-minded, you know, than South Georgia. And I I just, you know, I I didn't understand racism. I, I really was, was sheltered kid, you know, Marine base, you know, you have mixed race, uh, you know, um, marriages, it's no big deal. You know, everyone just lives among each other. It's just, so that was the first time I really saw like really blatant racism. And I was like, okay, I don't fit in here. So transfer to, uh, NC state and man, I just got cold feet, you know, I had failed calculus two, I kind of had a clean slate and I was like, do I really want to try let's go engineering here, you know, and, and, and still struggle with calculus two and then have like another, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever grade on my record and still not be able to pass it. So I was kind of like major surfing, you know, so, uh, I forgot that I, I had some intermediary major and I tried it and it was just, just wasn't for me. And if I just had a catalog, like, I mean, what am I gonna do? You know, I got to get some degree, and so I just kind of picked communications. So gotcha. um, there really wasn't a strong, you know, reason behind it. Maybe I probably had the mindset is um, I was doing a uh, college radio shows. and that was the one cool thing about Georgia Southern. So my second year at Georgia Southern, I did college radio show on WVGS Statesboro, punk, all punk rock, all skate rock, all like all the skate videos back then had like you know Bad Religion, yeah, you know Operation Ivy. I mean, you know, whatever, I mean, just, you know, a uh, dinosaur junior, um, just whatever. And so I had a you know, basically, uh, it was a punk rock show, but it was like skate punk rock. You yeah, know? It
0: was, hell yeah. It was more,
1: like, you know? Um, so as opposed to say like, you know, I didn't play a whole lot of like sex pistols or whatever, like the old school stuff, you know? So I really liked that transferred NC state and then it happened to be, I went to the radio station to see, if, uh, you know, if they might have a slot for me Yeah. and lo and behold, a guy. I went to high school with, was doing a show and he was like, Chris, and I'm like, Holy crap. You know? And so he was like, dude, I'll set you up. So they put me in a slot. Well, I had to do like some daytime shows, which they had like their formats were stripped. So during the daytime, they had like rock, you know? Yeah. But at night they had what they call it. and it's WKNC, uh, Raleigh and their nightwave show was like, you know, alternative punk rock stuff, you know? So I played again, same type stuff, you know. But d- by then I had learned like no, you know, about No Effects and Pennywise. So I was expanding out, you know. Um, it's crazy enough. I mean, Face to Face would have been around back then, but you know, I've been listening to No Effects on Pandora the last I don't know five, five, six years. We've yeah. Been kind of getting back into my punk rock roots, and I didn't hear about Face to Face back then for some reason. But in all that kind of genre, you know. And I think probably I thought, well, if I do communications it'll it might lend me towards you know getting a dj job or something like that but so, the problem is that i don't like popular music a whole lot and i'm not a lot yeah. of punk rock in the radio so you know i mean Dude. i really just didn't have much of a plan you know to tell you the truth frank and I, I felt like i was three years in i had to get a degree and i feel like some feel like. degree you know is better than nothing i mean a degree shows you have the ability to stick to something in that might suck yeah and, and see that and see the end yeah and so for better or for worse you know like i said i'm probably more of an advocate of technical education now that i am you know a four-year degree but at the time it still means something i mean i'm proud of the fact that i stuck it through and, and did it even though you know it only i've only used it so, a little bit in my life you know
0: yeah you're uh you're touching on so much rad stuff right now dude the uh, radio uh, station it- that sounds awesome bro do you remember your uh your intro when you would get on the mic
1: I don't, man, and I don't know if I was that, Paul, I think, so, I think they take away some of the, uh, the creativity because they make Uh you do certain things, you know, so I think you got in the air, you immediately had to do call sign, and you immediately had to, like, read certain PSAs and all that, so, you know, I I don't think, I I probably was, like, the least creative DJ, you know, ever, and I was, like, a late bloomer, you know, I mean, at, when I started at NC State, I was 20, I probably had the maturity level of, of an 18 year old, to be honest, you know, in many ways I looked at it as like, I'm starting over. Uh, i you know, Georgia Southern was, was Georgia Southern, you know, I wasn't a big fan of of that area, but the cool thing is that I got to do the the punk rock show. And so I kind of like looked at NC state as like a fresh start, you know? Um, But I was never a super confident, you know, dude. Um, I basically was just a kind of nerdy skinny skater kid that liked punk rock and rap. I mean, my favorite group in high school was Public Enemy. To this day, I still love Public Enemy. Yeah. you
0: know, that's crazy, man. It's so crazy how um, there's so many similar stories just around 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 our culture. You know, where right. skateboarding or certain music, it all mixes in. You know, it's a uh, it blew my mind, dude. Uh, yesterday, I saw Four Piston. They posted a care package from Baker, and I'm just <clears throat> like, wait. Wait, wait, how how does this even even connect? Because Baker's my favorite skateboard brand ever since I was a kid. Like, I have a Baker...
1: Andrew Reynolds is, Andrew Reynolds is just absolutely... He's a, he's a
0: monster, dude. You know, I have a, <laughs> a, a Baker banner in in the shop right here. And before we started, I was just watching Baker 2G. And the intro of Baker 2G is actually the intro to the podcast. So when you okay. play the podcast, that's where I got the sound sample from. So I'm just like, how are these guys... How, how are they even into baker or what so i guess the guy um who one of the owners of baker is an old honda head so that's how they got connected i'm like man this is so crazy dude it's just like it really it does man if it feels like a lot of these hobbies that we were into are sort of like outcast hobbies that brought right. us all together, you know. Yep. So, do you feel like like you were an outcast, and do you feel like you really didn't have many people to um to relate to you as you were growing up?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, i will tell you the truth. Like between me and you, it made my hair stand on, on my arm when you said that because it's you absolutely nailed it. I mean, and my dad—you know, my dad taught. He, he would make me feel better because he'd be like, "Son, don't ever confuse acquaintances." With your real friends don't ever don't ever do that don't make that mistake he says you know you can go through life and he says if you have 20 acquaintances at one time you know that's awesome that's good for you but don't ever think that when chips are down and things are really the wheels have fallen off of your life don't ever think that those 20 people are going to rally to your support because it'll it'll just crush you they won't be there so he really made me focus on look family is what you can depend on and maybe you have one or two if you're very lucky close friends in your life but you know and And I really was a kid, I mean, everywhere I go, I had like one close buddy, you know, I had, you know, I think like fifth, sixth and seventh grade, I had this guy TJ and we were close. And I started, I had like a little banana board, you know, and I was like a tool around this banana board. And then eighth grade, I went to Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And man, I didn't fit in there. I had no friends, you know, I had acquaintances, but I had no friends, badly bullied, terrible time in my life. But the cool thing is (laughs) my parents were, they didn't have a lot of taste or they didn't really understand like buying the nicest of something right so they bought me this Veriflex skateboard and the thing always turned right it doesn't matter what you did it just turned right you know but the crazy thing is and i think it pissed off the kids that i was like hanging out with is i would do stuff on it that they couldn't do on their you know whatever jeff grosso oh, yeah. or whatever they had and it was just another reason to bully me you know and like, i remember one time he was the kids like you know i got this new skateboard or whatever and he was like try it out so i try it out and i think like like, I scratched the graphics on the bottom on a curb. He's oh, like, you scratched my skateboard. Then it was another reason for those kids to blow me for another week. Yeah. And I'm like, what a what a bunch of posers, like, trying to protect, gotta protect the graphics, man. You got to wax it. <laughs> I mean, so I was glad to be out of college. Carl, Pennsylvania is a pretty place. Cool car culture. But, you know, that middle that middle school era is just a disaster. When you're a Marine kid, like a little gypsy moving around, like, here a year, two years. Man, you move to a place for one year and we didn't live on base, we lived off base. It was a disaster. So I moved out of there, went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Fayetteville, got a, my birthday was August 2nd. And I told my dad, I, said, I want a real skateboard. And if you're not gonna buy me a real skateboard and let, let me pick all the components, then I don't want anything at all for my birthday. <laughs> so, I mean, I hate to be bratty, but I wanted a real skateboard. So we went and I got independent trucks. And I got a Neil Blender board. I still remember that, but I still have that Neil Blender board. Uh, it was a neil blender coffee break and had neil Mm -hmm. Bender like you know kicking chilling with his cup of coffee you know and i don't remember the wheels but you know it was a real board my dad complained about the price and i was like you know hey it is what it is man and i just i laid waste the kids in in the neighborhood as far as like my talent level i was just so much better than them you know and then i started skating down um you know off base and met kids that were that are way better than me and it was so cool you know that that pushing pushing each other and getting better and then I felt like I belonged, and that was like that. That skateboarding probably, you know, people. I've heard a lot of people say skateboarding saved their life. Man, it's it's really not an over. It's not an overstatement. It's not hyperbole. I mean, it. I was so isolated and so alone, and I was such a maverick, but not a maverick in like a cool way. Like you know, I went stand to my mom, said so she make me wear these Coca Cola shirts, and my jeans fit too tight. It always just such a dork, you know. And but I just wasn't like. I just didn't have that backbone at that age to really yeah. stand up for myself. My dad's a 30 year career Marine, you know, and he's, he was strict in his own way or, or absent, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was a weird time for me, but that 19th and 11th grade year, I got so better at skate, you know, so much better at skateboarding, running kickflips. And, you know, I mean, just rail slides and disasters and they, all, all this stuff. And, and, you know, I progressed, made fast friends, you know, and more like, people I was close with. It wasn't just like some acquaintance. You know, I had a couple of, a couple of guys. I had this guy, Curtis, that was a year below me in high school, <laughs> um, this guy, Derek, who was a year older. We skated, we were like, you know, we were like, you know, there's this cool, like Derek's a black dude, I was a white dude, Curtis is an uh, Asian dude. And, you know, like people just thought it was kind of funny seeing the three of us together, you know. And But man, we were fast friends and skated, had a good time. And then when I could learn how to drive, I had my dad 72 to uh, Monte Carlo. And we could finally skate, like, the better spots. Yeah. Man, it's so exciting. When you get a car as a skater, yeah. people, people would tell me, like, they're like, dude, when you get a car, you won't skate anymore. It's just <clears> bullshit. <laughs> i will be skating even more because I've be got to go to the cool spots. Yeah. And we would go all our a dude. We found spots. We found – we had spots for, like, when it rained. We had spots when it was too hot. We had spots when it was cold. You know, you just – you had all your little spots in your back pocket. Oh, and, man. Uh, man, that, you know, growing from that, you know, I moved to Woodbridge, Virginia after that. And I had, uh, a close, you know, I'll say close friend, but he was, is a guy that I hung out with exclusively. It was just me and Keith hung out and we skated Washington DC. We skated freedom Plaza. Um, you know, all these, like these, you know, well-known spots I had like this, t- you know, wasn't that great, but uh, this shop called sidewalk surf shop, you know? And so me and Keith got like the kind of like sponsorship, which didn't mean a whole lot, got, like a discount or something, yeah. you know, but we skated Manassas and, you know, um it was just a cool period but like you said i mean i I kind of off off the rails there but throughout my life at most i had like that one close guy you know yeah and when i was out in arizona it was brady you know me and brady were were fast friends and so you know it's it's i I just i think a lot of people that are that are kind of like drawn to like skateboarding and, and punk rock and and seem like even the honda culture there are guys like me and Maybe I don't know if you were
0: the same way, but I just didn't fit in, bro. Yeah, uh, definitely did not, man. Um I always talk about this. I remember in uh, you know, junior high and in high school that I would do my homework at lunch because I didn't have any friends to hang out with. You know, right. even uh like my skateboard was like my first best friend. As right. crazy as that sounds, you know, that that it was always there for me and we always just had like the greatest experiences. And then even when I would skate with people who were into skating, like, they wouldn't treat me right as well, and it just made me feel like more of an outcast, you know? And then even now listening to music where they're singing about the same issues that I'm going through, such as, you know, like, punk rock, and then that mixed with skateboarding as well, it made me feel like I had so much power just being by myself, so... At a very young age, I learned that I was the only one that was in charge of my own happiness, which at that time was a very, very rough thing to go through. But the lessons that I learned to this day are invaluable. I, I know that without anything or anybody, I can still survive. And you know, not that I wanted to get to that point, but it's very comforting knowing that as low as you can get on the totem pole, you still have that that feeling inside of you of confidence that you'll still be okay. Because when the most vital times in your life, when you needed people, you really didn't have anybody, you know. And I never right. felt really um, comfortable with putting that burden on my parents or anything like that, because for one, I felt like it was embarrassing you know, me not having any friends, nobody that I assumed didn't like me or that I could share experiences with. And plus they were busy figuring out their own thing, you know, they're trying to figure out life. So I didn't want to put more on their table. So it was one thing that I I really just dealt with myself. And, um, you know, one thing that you did say that, that I believe a lot was a quote that you said from your father, which was that don't, don't mistake acquaintances for friends. And, um, you know, I keep learning that lesson over and over and it's just it's one of those things that you have to understand that you know not everybody's going to have the same heart as you do. But right. just realize that if you want if you want to be that person for somebody else, you can do that. You know, so that's why I like talking about these you know, personal, uncomfortable things that most people really don't talk about. Everybody wants to highlight like the great things that are going on in their their lives. But I like to yeah. highlight the struggles that I went through because, you know, it's the same similar struggles that, that you've been through. And we were, we were raised on different parts of the country, you know, and it, it's just that there's those things in life that just, uh, that are those comfort creatures that would, uh, that other people experience with, friendships or you know sleepovers or things like that you know i remember just uh, a a kid having a birthday party and of course i wasn't invited but like everybody else was so that makes me think to this day like i never want to make anybody feel like that you know so i'm always i'm always over sympathetic to people's feelings how they feel you know, we just had uh, um, people over for the 4th of July, and my whole thing is I want to make sure everybody else has a great time before I focus on, hey, am I having a great time? Because at the end of the day, if everybody's having a great time, that's that's my pleasure, you know?
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean, like we touched, touched on a minute ago, I mean, if you write the story of someone's life, I mean, most of the time, much of the story has to do with overcoming adversity, right? Yeah. So... I mean, I'll never forget my my senior prom. I skateboarded by myself in a parking lot at Lake Ridge, you know, uh, somewhere in Lake Ridge. You know, when I lived in Woodbridge, and that's pretty sad. But I was like, man, I felt more me, and I was more comfortable with myself there than I ever would have been wearing some stupid getup, yeah, you know, around girls that wouldn't give me a time of day anyway. I mean, I would have felt like such a tool in the corner, just like sitting there. Yeah. I was much happier skateboarding, and so yeah, I mean. I was a kid that played with a lot of Legos, and, like, I was a creative type kid, you know, I mean, he's, that kind of isolation, it changes you, and, you know, I mean, not always for the good, but I think it does, you know, build character, and at the end of the day, when your story is written, people are going to spend more time talking about, you know, you're overcoming adversity than, like, you know, Bob was, like, the coolest guy in his soccer team. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, or, yeah. I don't even care, bro. <laughs> like, you know, it's just... I feel just you, not, man.
0: You know, That's, uh... It's crazy, dude, that there's a lot of similarities like that. Not just with you, but just with a lot of people that I've podcasted with, and right. it, and it really does. It tells you, uh, you know, you go through the adversity, and either you're gonna go down a bad path where you just woe is me, or you change that into something that you know you end up be, being your own business owner, and now you're living the life that you want to live.
1: Right, and I think like yeah, I think my dad kind of touched on this one time, but you know, he was talking about you know. Like making it in the Marine Corps, like say, like boot camp or something like that, right? And he says, you know, everybody like quits on, your, on themselves. Um, but the, the key is like, don't quit on your friends and don't stay quit, you know? So, I mean, I, I, a million times I've, I mean, I have so many things like zinc platers. I mean, I'm sure you have problems with me- metal finishing will drive anyone to absolute, you know, craziness, right? I've had parts where I had parts that had to ship out and a zinc plater overplayed them. So everything's plated too thick. And yeah. I'm sitting there having to sand the board. I mean, and like for hours and hours and hours, I mean, you end up throwing stuff. I mean, this is like, this is before I, I really worked with my plater. And I was like, you know, you can't plate stuff longer than, than the time, timer is. You can't sit there and, because then you ruin all my tolerances. And, you know, I've had like so many things like that happen. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just done. I'm just going to do something else for work. You know, I mean, I don't care. And so, you, you know, you walk away for a while. But then the next day, you're like, ah. and it's like, don't stay quit. You know, yeah. everybody kind of quits in their mind, you know, temporarily, but it's the people that pick themselves up, dust themselves up. I mean, I had stuff happen. Uh, there was company ESM race that's gone out of business now, but, you know, they, they were inspired to do spherical bearings off of my stuff. And man, you, you see, like, as soon as they incorporated, like, my sales went like, I was like, crap. And I hadn't really found my niche yet. You yeah. know what I mean? I wasn't, I was still searching, like, so I run, want to run lots of products, you know, massive quantities of products, and then like have retail, resellers that resell it. Or am I going to be like customer direct or some amalgam of, of both? And I was just I hadn't figured out a lot of the business side. I mean, not that I have it figured out now, but, man, it was a tough time. And, and you know, they hurt my sales real bad. And, and I had customers that, you know, that went and tried their stuff but luckily most of the customers came back and went like, Oh my God, Chris, it's you know, so bad, you know? So they went, they came back on my stuff and eventually yeah. those guys went on a business and you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It might be you know cheesy, but it's true, man. And I came through it and came to the other end and it also made me d- to focus on diversifying. You know, I yeah. can't be just a Honda drag race guy, you know? And yeah. I had gotten to where 90% of my sk- my sales were Honda drag race guys. And so now, you know, I touched on earlier with you. Uh, I've been doing parts for Brian Hurdle Autosport mm-hmm. uh, Touring Car America series, that's and the uh, Veloster. Yeah, Hyundai Veloster, and so um, that's been a really cool experience. And that was the kind of stuff that I think I got too locked into just doing Honda stuff. And I was like, dude, I make spherical bearing assemblies. I mean, I make spherical bearing assemblies for full drive trucks. I can I can do them for anything. So I think I just for a while there, I let you know our own brain can be our own worst enemy, and I allowed. Mm-hmm like you know oh esm's taking this money out of my own pocket well only if you let them i mean because you there's money to be made there's money just everywhere right so if you you know if you get up off and quit feeling sorry for yourself and 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 diversify and prototype different products then and so that was a learning lesson for me and you know that it was really like one tough year that i just i kind of just got got down on myself and um and I rebounded from it and I think I'm better off for it happening. I learned something. I don't think anyone's gonna drive me out of business now. I think the only thing that drives me out of business now is like like just get tired of it, you know, yeah. like you know, repetitive stress injuries or or whatever. But I mean, I pretty much feel like I can do this as long as I want. And that's a that's a powerful feeling. I, I think I had prior to the ESM thing, I had this feeling like like maybe I didn't belong. And maybe yeah. someone's gonna come along and drive me out of business. And I don't feel that way anymore. I have an easy confidence about what I do and you know, and the fact that now I've got pro teams coming and want me to prototype stuff, and I mean, I I can I can I have so much prototype work to do, you know. Yeah. Only one person, you know, so it's cool when you have too having too much work always beats the the alternative, does it not?
0: Yeah, definitely, man. Um, so let let's get into uh, the the struggles of business a little bit. Uh, I remember following you. I don't remember how I actually found out about the brand, but it was it was pretty early on um looking at the notes now it's probably around you know 2012 ish 2013 that i was aware of the brand and then um i want to talk about one subject that i did or one one situation that i did see happen it was where you had said something and that had that had pissed off dave at skunk too and then he wanted to come back and come out with their own uh their own spherical bearing products. Uh, tell me about that situation a little bit and you know what what you actually uh, learned from it all in hindsight.
1: Well, you know, I've always been a competitive guy um, and I don't have a lot of respect for, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's made in the U.S. It's, like, it's not really made in the USA, right? So you have companies, and Apple's a perfect example. I have an iPhone, I'm not better than anybody else. Apple designs a nice part. And they have it made in China. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I can't I can't change that. You know, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to convince people that that's not right. Yeah. But everyone has their own ethos, you know, and they have their own code of conduct. And to me, if I design parts and have them made in China, you know, I don't feel good about myself. It is, that's not really what I'm about, right? So sometimes, you know, you get a little competitive and maybe you get a few drinks in you and, and you feel a <laughs> back talk, you know? So... I think I took I found a skunk two box because I was converting skunk two over control arms to sphericals. So I find a skunk two box and decided it'd be a great idea to go click up some dog poop out of the yard <laughs> and and I posted up a picture and it said reduce, reuse and recycle for the skunk two box. In hindsight, you know, I might not have done that, you yeah. know, had I not have about twelve beers in me. But it happened. Pissed Dave off. I'd be pissed if if I was Dave yeah. too. So so he was gonna he was gonna run me out of business. He's like one of like four different people that told me they're gonna run me out of business. And I was like, Oh well, you know, good luck. And I'll say, you know, that was my fault. You know, they made this fearful bearing stuff now. It's um it's it's skunk to quality. That's, that's all I'll say. It's, it's 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 what it is. Um but they didn't run me out of business. I don't think they hurt my sales at yeah. all. But I probably could have handled that a lot a lot better and I think like I had a big chip on my shoulder. Oh, yeah. I still have a big chip on my shoulder, but I think part of like we talked on, you know, being uncool and being kind of like on the fringes of society or whatever and not fitting in. Man, I was just like, you know, I'm I wasn't I wasn't always happy about it. I might paint a good story about like you know, yeah, overcame. Man, fuck, I was pissed. Yeah, I was. Pissed. I was a lonely kid, you know. Yeah. Um. So I sometimes let that chip on my shoulder come out. It's a character flaw of mine. So. Uh, I'll admit, you know, that I probably could handle that a lot better. Um, but live and learn. And uh, but, like I said, you know, I'll make Miata parts. I'll make I'll make Ferrari parts. I had a set of Ferrari arms I was going to do for a guy a while back, but uh, he ended up changing his mind. So I really don't feel like anyone's going to likely run me out of business. You know. Yeah.
0: You and know. the uh the reason I bring up that that subject is because I've gone through similar things like that and probably for the same reasons, you know, if if you <laughs> if you've grown up like like we have, you do have that chip on your shoulder and then when things start going right, when you start gaining that sort of popularity, then you like, wow, this is something new, you know, so then you use that for the wrong and I've right. had the same situation happen, and then that ended up turning into a competitor. And in hindsight, if I look back, if I just held my tongue, maybe they wouldn't have even been a competitor, you know? Right. So it's, I agree.
1: And, so, but, I mean, at some point, I kind of feel like they probably would have done it anyway. I mean, K-Tune makes spirals now, and, I mean, you know, nothing wrong with it, but Sean from K-Tune called me, you know, some years ago and wanted me, I think he basically wanted me to give him a set, you know i offered him a big discount but I, I don't i don't have the ability to just give people stuff yeah so they end up doing sphericals for the dc and i don't know if it was connected to me or not but i think at the end of the day you know k-tune and skunk tune and, and blocks and all that you know they're just looking for products to make and they make them as cheaply as possible and you know it's it's their business practice i mean it's not it's not what i you know i don't need to make everything either right so you know, I, I, I resell a little motion control suspension. They're a George company. Mm-hmm. Um, t- I have tons of respect for for a company like that, JRZ. They just do dampers. They yeah. don't do everything, right? I tend to have more respect for companies like that, that pick something, and they want to be the best at that that industry. Got and it. that's how, like I feel like I'm the best spherical bearing manufacturer or working every single day to become the Got best you. spherical manufacturer there is. I don't need to make water, you know, pump plates. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, I just don't need to do all that. And so I think a lot of these companies, the reason why they're quite, and, and look, I, I understand that Skunk 2 makes some, some quite, I think some of their headers are quite good. I mean, I've heard some good things about the cams and stuff. So it isn't like everything they have is bad, but you know, I had Skunk 2 upper control arms on my, on my you know, hunt challenge car and man, you had to just modify them so much. Scuffle all the paint off, put lock washers, changes to bolt style because you you know, you go around corners on R6 Hoosiers Man, they are not going to hold. I mean, if you're yeah. driving the car, there's no way they hold out of the box. So I wanted to make a product that, that fit and functioned like a proper race car part from the get-go without any kind of modifications. And that's really what has driven Kingpin Machine is why can't companies make true racing products that are competition level that last? I mean, I have this guy Spencer Anderson up in Northeast High Challenge has nine years on the original bearings – on his spherical rear-load control arms. He's got six or seven plus years on the fronts, you know? And if you do things the right way, I think you can produce a part that performs well, is safe and has longevity. But I think most of these companies, they want to use four-hour Chinese bearings to improve their bottom line. And they do have challenges, like they have they have resellers, and the resellers have to make money, right? And because I am mostly customer direct, you know, I could basically put all that money into bearings yeah, and definitely. labor. And with a lot but of a these
0: these other brands too. Um <clears throat> They, they have a lot of parts are always r and a lot of different parts. So, you know, that, that extra income goes to different places, you know. I understand right. how you're looking at it completely, and I understand how they're looking at it completely, you know, and, and both of those companies, Skunk 2 and K-Tune, they both do great things for the community because you have to look at a community as a whole. You have to look at it from the 15-year-old kid who's barely getting his first car to you know, the the older enthusiast who's been around since the nineties and wants to have the best of the best. So right. to be to be able to um, to take care of everything, you know, you kind of got to got to focus your attention on everybody rather than if you want to be just the premier guy, your your piece of the pie is gonna be a lot smaller. You know, and then if you want to be part of, you know, I just want to be the eBay company. Yeah, you're going to be able to sell a lot of parts, but your parts are going to be cheap. They're going to break a lot. You're going to have a bad recognition and and your brand isn't really going to last that long because people know your parts as entry level parts. You know, so that's how I look at it, man. When I see when I see a competitor company come up now, I don't get mad at it. I think, okay, cool. Another company that can introduce people into what we do so now when that product goes bad, when they don't like it anymore, when they realize what that company represents, then they're going to come over here to the premium. You know, So that makes my job a little easier. But yeah, there's, there's nobody that's going to be able to end your brand but you. And that's the same way that I look at it. The only way right. that Downstar is ever going to end is if I decide to, or if I do something that causes it to end. But I don't think there's anybody that can just come out, even any of these big companies. You know, I, I both of them I'm um, acquaintances with both the owners. You know, and we have that mutual respect with each other. But even right. if if they wanted to, or another company wanted to just come out with a hard hardware line, yeah, that would be a hit in the in the beginning probably because it's like the, the new girl at school. But after right. a while people know we've been doing this for 10 plus years. This is what we specialize in. This is what I do. It's not just an addition into my product line and which I know well, that they understand that as well. So it's just, it's a, uh, it's business. And then it's about relationships too. You know, and if, if I was in the position that that Dave was in at that time, I would have probably done the same thing because, I
1: can't because I've done, done
0: thing. things like that as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look back at it now like, man, that was kind of a grimy move. But then I'm like, hey, business is business. So it's, it's 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 a hard one, man. You know, those it, acquaintances it, it's, it's like, aren't friends.
1: No. I mean, you know, and it's like, like the K-Tune thing. I never, I mean, they probably have no idea, you know. I've never said anything to, to Sean or anybody, you know. And they can make whatever they want to. I can't tell anybody what to make, you know. Yeah. And you can't patent a spherical bearing. I mean, it, at the most, you do a design patent. But all you do is change the design 10%, you know, so. Uh, I didn't handle the skunk two thing very well at all. Uh, Hindsight twenty twenty. But with the K two, I was just like, eh. What do you do? Yeah, they can make what you want. And so I, I have, you know. Hopefully, I'm learning and maturing over time. You know, but like I said, I'm a late, I'm a, a a late bloomer, man. It took it took me a while to learn some lessons. And you know, sometimes yeah. somebody taking some, some money out of your pocket, that lesson might actually uh, stick a little bit <laughs> better. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Definitely, man. I've Ooh. learned a lot of the same lessons, and do the the. The grass is definitely it gets greener for sure, man. Because you just got to keep on keeping on, and you know do what you're doing the best. Like your the products that you use are on some of the fastest cars out. I just seen yesterday that the Sonic with the all-wheel drive car. He just posted up uh, your products.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Sonic's been a great promoter of mine. And I'll tell you, like this, I would mentioned, uh, mention mention him already. You know, it's really humbling, and and it really, I'm so appreciative about this guys like sonic that are out there promoting me you know i i've given a little discount here or there but yeah. man i'm telling you like, I, he's gotten no free product for me he just really tells the truth like he likes my product he likes what i'm about he supports me and promotes me and man i appreciate that and it, and people always like you know ask for sponsorships i'm like dude i don't have the ability to give you free stuff i don't yeah. i just don't do it all but that kind of guy when he needs something boom it's done like if he brings the lower control arm it's just gonna arrive in the mail you know yeah, that's the thing with Spencer Anderson, the Honda Challenge guy. The entire Northeast Honda Challenge reason, re, region knows about, Hunt, uh, you know, about um, Kingpin Machine, and a good bit of them are running my stuff because he's like an evangelist, you know, for Kingpin Machine. So, man, I really appreciate and am humbled by guys like that that help you out. And I don't know if I would have made it in this business if it wasn't for the guys like Sonic and Spencer that just they'll they basically use their publicity to further, further you and your business. And that's huge. Yeah. I mean,
0: Oh yeah. Just I making mean, those relationships.
1: These, oh, exactly. I mean, and, I mean, speed factory pretty much all their cars run my stuff and you know, we did a little discount, you know, for them, but man, they've told me things that, you know, that you couldn't pay for. Like, I mean, hope they wouldn't mind, but they says, look, Chris, we have the ability to get free product, you know, spherical bearing product from anyone, you know, into business um but instead we chose to buy yours and you know when someone tells you something like that there's no price to be put on that and that means a lot to me so i I get a lot of guys that i think that are really loyal about my product um you know ramey's uh supported me uh print racing um jj auto works down in florida i mean you know you hate to to name people because there's so many guys and you don't want to leave anybody else but i mean it's there's guys from integra type r expo and grid life and there's just guys that basically have evangelized Kingpin Machine and said, Hey, this is one guy doing things the right way. You know, and I had one guy give me a compliment that meant the world to me. He says, you know, as good as Kingpin Machine stuff is, the customer service blows the stuff out of the water. And I had a, an incident, how, you know, praying to how a uh, I think the parachute lifted the car up and it you know, collided with another car and they're trying to turn the car around pretty quickly. They weren't able to get the, the chassis completely straight and so i worked with norris and we i made offset spacers to move one of the control arms you know forward and to get the chassis backed out and, and i think they still race that car and you know i turned it around in really short order Man, that's what i try i mean my mindset i say this all the time i always prioritize current customers over new customers mm-hmm. and i hope that new customers don't take that the wrong way it, i want your business i absolutely you know people sometimes get frustrated like well i can't get this part like right now like no you know, I'll have it for you in a few weeks, but it's, it's not ready right now. But what's cool is once you're in the fold, like once you're inside the family, so to speak, you know, if you're st- stuck with, a, you know, with a, you know, a bad suspension arm and you're trying to make a race, you know, and you need to overnight it and done, I will do, I will move heaven and earth to make that happen. And I think it's really important to prioritize your current customers or else you find you don't have any, mm-hmm. you know. So I think a lot of companies, they're always like new business. I want to get new business. I want new business, too. But I want to make sure that my current customers are happy. And any customer that that ever tells me like, "Chris, man, I got this problem. You know, I need this bearing spacer. You know, I need it sent out like right now." Man, I make it happen. I just there's no excuses. I just make it happen. I
0: love it, man. So, um, can you give us qu- like a quick breakdown of what the benefit of a spherical bearing uh, would provide for drag racing?
1: So, drag racing, you know, you, you, you want to prevent wheel hop. That's probably the the biggest problem with with drag racing is wheel hop. So if you take like a DC, you know, front lower control arm, it's rear triangulated, right? So you have like, you know, the, this is the straight part of the arm mm-hmm. and then the rear of the chassis is this way. And so the arm is, is rear triangulated. And when the car launches, it's kind of like stretching this way. Well, people were trying to use these traction bars and have it triangulated towards the front. And you're basically purposely binding the suspension because when this is trying to, to move forward, this is keeping it from moving forward. So you're inducing bind to try to prevent wheel hop. And the reason why people were doing that is a rubber bushing, you know, by nature is going to deform, and like a compliance bushing, it's so thick it massively deforms. So as you, you kind of get this undulating effect where you're getting dynamic caster and, and toe change, and that's what's creating the toe uh, the uh, wheel hop issue. And as you get on the track, every time you shift, the car's making so much power, it has so much traction that the the car wants to, to kind of undulate left and right down the track, right? And all that has to do with the rubber, in in the, the OEM bushings. When you replace that with spherical bearing and replace it the right way, meaning like you don't have undue stiction, so the, the, the spherical bearing ball is still easy to you know is still easy to rotate. You allow you take out the slop, so you eliminate dynamic caster and toe change, which means that when a car launches, it takes a set and goes. Now you still have like chassis flex. You have the actual. I mean, the lower control arms themselves will actually bend you know from the from the you know the extreme force they see on launch but you're eliminating a lot all the dynamic toe and caster change issues that really create the problems and it's the same for drag racing or any, any kind of motorsports i mean when you go into a braking zone say 140 miles an hour in you know dc Integra, right when you when you really you know get on the brakes that soft compliance bushing is squishing and the control arms are flexing like that, right? Mm -hmm. And when that happens, the car wants to steer. It's like passively steering because you're basically getting a toe change and if the steering was not dead straight, then the car wants to steer and you get this tail tail wag effect. Once you put a spherical bearing in those inner pivot locations, that can't happen. The suspension arm can only move up and down. It can't move fore and aft. So that's really, you know, it isn't rocket science, but that's where most of your benefits come. Now having low stiction, allowing suspension to, to, uh, compress, um, without requiring as much breakaway torque, you know, cause the rubber still, you know, think about, it, you know, you got a rubber bushing in there, you can't even move the arm, right? Even if the, the damper is disconnected and springs out, the arm doesn't want to move or only moves a small bit. With spherical bearings, you drop the arm and the arm just hits the ground. Yeah. You know? So there's, there's advantages to be had by having that low stiction, but the, the vast majority of the advantages is the elimination of dynamic toe and caster change
0: you, gotcha, man dude that that's so much knowledge for uh t- i didn't even think about any of that stuff you know about that that having to uh do with like the um with the load and the toe and all that and then the wheel hop um what about like maintenance on the on the bearings
1: so i use um teflon line bearings are also called uh, maintenance free bearings I only use Manibia aerospace bearings in my front load control arms. Um, In fact, you know, each one of my bearings, the retail price on an NMB ABWT10, which is the ones I use in the front LCAs for DC Integra, the retail price is $40 each. Okay. Um, My competitors use $3 to $4 bearings each. So each one of my bearings costs me more than all four of their bearings multiplied times two. Mm. I mean, it's so, um, you know, they're a maintenance free bearing. The, the Teflon liner is is a really high grade. They're the same bearings that are used in jet fighters. I mean, it's they're used for critical components of jet fighters. Um, so they last and last, they're a maintenance-free bearing. There's really nothing in the world you have to do for them. I mean, um, you install if you know if it makes you feel better, you can spray a little Teflon spray on a rag, you know, and wipe the uh, you know, wipe the, the margins of the bearing off. Um, but basically, most of the the low, most of the rotation, you know, it's rotational movement. It doesn't move that far. You know, you don't have a lot of degree of movement, and it's a press fit between the Teflon liner and the ball. So because of that, you're not really, you're not dragging trash into the bearing. People have this this uh, mistaken idea that a bunch of trash is getting in between the bearing ball and Teflon liner. I've had worn slap out bearings, not too many. I mean, I've sold 100,000. I've been sold 100,000 dollars worth of uh, bearings. My cost. And I've only replaced a couple hundred dollars worth of bearings. You know, yeah. that's that's how well stuff lasts. But when you you know get a bearing that's worn slap out and you kind of swivel it sideways, there's no trash or debris between the ball and the liner. What happens is the liner eventually cuts grooves into the bearing ball, because the bearing ball is spinning like that over time, it eventually cuts grooves into it, and that's what causes the wear. And so it'll eventually wear out. But the cheap bearings, because they're they're machined so poorly and the Teflon liner is so inexpensive in very short period of time, the bearing ball is moving fore and aft in the race and it creates this popping noise. People think that there's this misnomer that, you know, spherical bearings are inherently noisy. It's not true. Cheap spherical bearings are inherently noisy and the noise is because it's caused by the play of the bearing moving fore and aft in the race. But when you use aerospace, you know, manoebulous stuff like I do, you don't have that. So I do use, you know, less expensive commercial bearings, in lower load applications like the upper control arm. You know, I use the Aurora commercial series there. But I always have the option to run aerospace stuff everywhere. If you have the budget, I recommend it. Um, I mean, I would say the average lifespan of my stuff is six years, fifteen to 20,000 uh, race miles. And we're talking like, you know, our compound Hoosier race miles, you know. The drag race guys obviously don't see as much mileage because the cars, yeah. you know, they line so amazingly hard, you yeah. know but um i had one of Norris Printers guys uh sent me uh some arms for rebuild and uh you know I think they got six years out of them and they still like the bearings weren't bad they have a little play in them but he just wanted did it for peace of mind you know got you what's cool about that is i disassemble all the parts beat blast them send them to be plated uh take them back reassemble blueprint everything they're new they're yeah. they're new parts they look exactly that like they're brand new and they're half the price is new because you know the bearings are quite expensive and I have some labor time but instead of being like 445 for a set of DC front LCAs you're talking like 220 Mm -hmm. so you know you're getting six years more six seven years more passes for half the price and so I always say that Kingpin Machine produces a product that has a great value but it's not a low price so people have to understand you know I think the US is a price-driven economy for better, for worse. I think for worse. But again, that's my ethos. That's, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, of the kind of like, I don't go to Walmart. I haven't been to Walmart in 15 years probably. I I don't, I save up for nice things. I buy nice things. Um, I don't buy a lot of them, you know, but I just like, if I'm going to buy a couch, I want to buy the couch that I'm going to have for the next 10 years. I don't buy some crap for a year. So it's just a mindset. And so that ethos goes through my life into my business and I want everything to be you know, as long lasting as possible, done the right way, but it can't be cheap, Got you know, you. but value value is, is more important to me than, than overall price.
0: Now, would you recommend your products to, um, you know, just like a street car?
1: Generally, no. Um, you know, I, I kind of try to dissuade people from that. You know, everybody, that's the kind of dirty secret in the aftermarket industry. Everybody's like, it says not for, for road race, not mm-hmm. for road use. I mean, you know, and I resell some PCI. So nothing against Brian. I like Brian like what he does. Um, but you know that the vast majority of PCI parts are going on are going on streetcars. So let's yeah. be honest. Um, but it says not for road road use. It's the dirty little secret. Everyone's like wink, wink. You know, yeah. not for road use. Um, I really do honestly try to tell people like here's why you shouldn't run in the road. You know, it's nice to have some compliance and suspension. It's expensive. You know, but if someone really wants to run it, uh, you know, my parts for a streetcar, I have no problem selling them. My streetcar has. Fresh OEM bushings and the lower arms, um, and it has compliance bearings on it, and that's it. You know, no, no spherical bearings anywhere else. But I think it tightens the suspension up. It breaks more true. Alignment stays uh, more true. Um, and it's a little more fun. But I don't want to run full sphericals because it just kind of, you know, it's a little more harsh. Harsh rod, more yeah. noisy.
0: Got you, got you. So if somebody wants to, uh, like say, get some front LCAs from you, do they have to actually mail in a core, or how would that work?
1: No, I keep cores on hand. Uh, I try to all, all my products that I have. I try to keep cores. I have BB6 Prelude uh, cores, EF uh, Civic. Uh, I'm actually I'm out of DA Integra front LCAs right now, but I've actually got a full set of DA Integra rear LCAs ready on the shelf, ready to assemble. Um, always keep DC stuff in stock. So yeah, the way I usually work is I charge the cores, charge up front, so I don't have to chase people around to get you know cores yeah. back. But uh, yeah, most everybody. Goes ahead and pays that that core charge up front, and then if they want to send uh, arms back later for a full refund, that's great. And if they just want to keep them as spares, that's great too. So yeah, it seems to work best for everybody. I had a guy in Southern California that was my junkyard salvage yard guy, mm-hmm. and he got the cleanest cores because you know the carbon, you know the emissions laws are so strict out there. A lot of those cars are coming off the street, you know, and, and getting uh, you know scrapped. Yeah. So he got me the cleanest arms, like almost rust free, like just beautiful stuff. Uh, unfortunately, he moved to Oklahoma. So I've been having a hard So I'm going to have to kind of see if I can find another California guy to to find me some arms because uh, they're just so much cleaner. You know, the desert is yeah. just nicer parts. And the, the worst arms I get, of course, are the Northeast and North Midwest. I mean, it's just stuff is a disaster, you know.
0: Have you ever st- talked to Steve from HMO?
1: I haven't, and they, they do a lot of like control arms and stuff too. Uh, uh
0: you, You've never heard of HMO, H Motors? Oh, I've heard
1: of I- I just thought they did mostly like motors. I didn't know well, they'd do. It much they do. They they pretty arm.
0: much do everything. They bring the cars in and strip them all the way down. Um, I I can just recall right now. There's probably a, a twenty by twenty pile of LCAs <sighs> and suspension at their shop. So uh, he might be a good one to get in contact with if if that's what you're if that's what you're looking for for sure.
1: Yeah, man, it's all about networking, man. I'm all you know. It. I don't. I may not pay what you know. Yeah, I, I, obviously I don't pay it. like so. Like my core charge for the LCA is like say seventy dollars. Yeah, but I always pay seventy dollars because I get so many bent arms. It like it can be so subtle. Like it'll be bent like a hundred thousand. Man, you can't tell. And so you, I have a granite surface plate. So you put on the granite surface plate and you line them up, and it becomes pretty apparent. But until you press the bushings out and really get them, you know, on a completely dead flat surface, you really can't tell by eyeballing got you, them. Got you. Well, yeah, man. I mean, I'm all about networking. I'd like to give them. I'll give them a shout and see what they're looking for because i buy quantity, you know? I'd, yeah. I'd be, I'd be good with buying 20 sets of arms or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely hit him up, man. Just shoot him a message on Instagram. Uh, Steve's we'll an awesome, real. awesome guy. Um, Will be, bro. Chris, I love everything about the brand, dude. I wish you the best. And, um, if there's ever anything I could do for you, help you out, please just let me know, man.
1: Well, Frank, I'll tell you, you've already helped me out. I really appreciate it. I mean, I appreciate the fact that, that you would give a little guy like me, uh, a shot. And it's been cool. Like you know. I do some Instagram live videos. It's usually like really late at night. Yeah. I've usually had a few drinks on the weekend. Yeah, but it's cool, and I'm a, I'm a little more out there on uh, you know on those. And you know, I probably do run my mouth too much, but I hope people know it's it's in good fun, man. I really don't hire, I promise you that I have no ill feelings towards you know anyone in the industry. I mean, yeah. one of the cool things about my life is I really don't hate anyone. I mean, you know, I I just do my I found my niche. I'm happy doing what I do. And the fact that guys like you are willing to, like, you know, reach down and, and give, a, you know, a guy like me a, a hand up, a pull up, man, it's much appreciated, bro.
0: Yeah, hell yeah, dude. I've been there. I've been there so many, like, I've been going through this for the last 10 years, so I understand all the steps of everything, man. And the thing that I've come to realize is that your your reputation and networking is one of the biggest things, you know, so you have to make those relationships with people and sometimes they'll go good sometimes they'll go bad but as as long as you have genuine intentions i don't see anywhere but uh going up you know
1: right appreciate yeah. it bro Definitely.
0: so before we get out of here dude i have one question i was looking at where your shop was located and you were very close to uh lake lanier yep so uh tell me a little bit about lake lanier because i hear it's haunted is it haunted you've
1: never heard a lot that, of that drown there. You know, all the people that drown there yeah yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a lot of these lakes. Uh, it's, you know, it was man made and it was made by damming, uh, you know, damming a river. Yeah. And they didn't clean any junk out. Like, I mean, there's a racetrack in the bottom, like a circle track, an old dirt track in yeah. the bottom of it. There's old construction equipment, there's stuff everywhere. Um, you know, and I don't know why I said, I think there's a lot of people that goes, it, it drops off really quick, you know, because it was just made, made out of a huge valley that was filled with water. So you can very quickly, you know, end up over your head. And it just seems like you get a lot of people that go there that, that don't have a lot of swimming acumen and get themselves in trouble. But there is like fishing line and stuff under there. And you have divers every now and then that go down without a knife and get themselves caught up in fishing line. So, yeah, I don't know why. It does seem like a lot of people drown there, though. So I, I hadn't heard that it was like necessarily haunted, but it's, it's sketchy. I used to take have a, well, I had two little winger dogs. Fortunately, it's been a bad year overall. I lost one of them. The oh, other man. one's senile. But, you know, he's the one that passed away is 15, and the other one will be 16 in, uh, in mid August. But, man, I'd enjoy taking him to the lake, you know, and watching him swim. There's something about a wiener dog. It's was like, how the hell do they swim? So <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time on Lanier other than just like the shallow portion, you know, yeah, just true. letting him, I used to let him swim around and stuff. But, well, yeah, it does seem like there's a, a extraordinary amount of death on that lake for yeah, sure. Yeah, don't,
0: don't swim in there anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I, I went there last uh, last summer, I went to Atlanta for uh, Grid Life, okay. and then uh, my cousin, he's not into cars, but he's into fishing. So we went out to a Bass Pro Shop, probably really close to you, and then Fair, um, <laughs> yeah, so we went to Bass Pro Shop, and uh, then he's looking on his phone because he wanted to go fish. He's like, "Oh, dude, there's a huge lake." So. We went back to my buddy's house and we're telling him, oh, we want to check out this lake. And when we said Lake Lanier, everybody's eyes went up. They're like, nah, don't go there. (laughs) And then telling me about the stories. And then I had one of my buddies from Atlanta on the podcast, probably like two weeks ago. And he talked about it as well. And then uh, there's a rapper Waka Flocka. He's from Atlanta and he just did a podcast and uh on mike tyson's uh podcast hot hot Box, and, and the commercial that they used was him talking about lake lanier and i'm like what the hell is going on so then i check you and then i look in the maps and it's like no way dude
1: <laughs> i didn't know it was all that bad but yeah i mean i know it's it, it's too close to the city too you get like knuckleheads drinking in voting and, and yeah. it's just there's it, a lot of shady stuff that happens there so yeah, the nice thing is I don't have the money to have some boat to be pimping around.
0: You know? <laughs> so stay, I stay, stay close. I'll stay in my lane, bro. You there know? you go. <laughs> Chris, I love it, man. Dude, like I said, anything you ever need, let me know. Um, rooting for you, bro. I, I, I like what you do, and I like the attention that you're putting into it. And I like the late night lives that you do. Uh, I, if you wouldn't have done any of those late nights, I probably wouldn't have asked you to be on the show because I'd never seen anybody represent the company. So, you know, when you show your personality and I'm like, oh, this dude seems like a cool guy, you know, and there's a lot of companies that I would like to have on, but they just don't have the person, the personality. And maybe back in the day that wasn't as important, but I feel like that's extremely important now because with so many options out, people want to actually know where their money's going to, who, what, what's the knowledge behind Kingpin Machining? Why should I trust kingpin versus a competitor brand that's a lot cheaper you know so it's a lot easier to to get into this information you know an hour an hour and a half conversation rather than you trying to explain something within a post so i hope people understand the uh, the value that kingpin brings
1: well I, I appreciate it again frank man like i said i mean and i encourage anybody who wants to stop by you know check out my instagram and check out my instagram lives you know i, I could be a bit of a character at times i guess but you know i mean well and and hopefully people understand that, you know, I really honestly care about the product and I want them to win. It isn't about just making a bunch of money, man. I, I really want people to enjoy the product and I call them legacy products. I, I want, you know, after I'm gone, people will be like, man, Kingpin Machine, Chris Prince made good stuff. And that's kind of like where I want to be.
0: Good, man. Well, you're on the way there. So if people want to find out about Kingpin, where can they go check you out?
1: I think they get the best idea, I'd encourage people to check me out on Instagram uh, slash Kingpin Machine that's going to give you the best idea as far as the quality based on the pictures i have video showing the articulating the arm the the bearings and i really explain a lot of you know the detail the attention detail and what goes in the parts if you're not on instagram you're welcome to check out on facebook uh machine.com um, but I, again i encourage you if even if you just go if you don't use the instagram app just check check out the web browser just check out uh instagram slash camping machine and i think that you'll get an idea of where i'm coming from it's, yeah. it's probably the best uh place the best single resource to show you what i'm about definitely
0: awesome chris thank you so much man uh, make sure you guys check out kingpin machine we'll leave them there instagram below and a huge shout out to our sponsor uh heel toe automotive been around since 2002 supplying you guys with all the honda parts that you need make sure you guys check them out heel or on instagram at heel toe automotive and um chris you're the man bro thank you brother Right. Guys, you. Thank, thank you for listening. This is Downtime with Downstar, episode 182, and we're out. Peace.